Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Andromagis of Ocleus and Kemal Baikali. During the road work, which was moving into the United Nations controlled buffer zone, the Turkish Cypriot police clashed with the United Nations personnel near the bicommunal Pila village. In this episode, we discuss the implications of the incident on the Cyprus problem, the role of members of the international community, and we put the spotlight on Russia. Last but not least, we discuss whether it is possible and realistic to discuss possible new confidence-building measures against this background. Welcome to Nicosia Uncut. After a short summer break, we are back and uh, we have a full agenda. Hello, Andromahi. Hello, Kemal. Yes, uh, very happy to be back and uh, <laughs> very happy to have this discussion today, even though in an unfortunate setting in general. But Yeah, I think it's important that uh, we start um, putting some perspective and uh, share our opinions and views on um, things happening in Cyprus and happening um, in, ter- in relations with the Cyprus problem. I think the first and the burning issue is uh, that uh, there was a clash in the buffer zone near Pila where Turkish and Turkish Cypriot forces, um, basically it has been reflected as the Turkish Cypriot forces, the Turkish Cypriot police force, clashed with the United Nations because they wanted to extend a, a, a road um, to Pila village and connect it to um, the Turkish Cypriot controlled areas. And the part of this road goes through the buffer zone and, you know, the buffer zone is being mandated, is controlled by the United Nations. And um, as the United Nations wanted to uh, stop the Turkish Cypriot uh, operators uh, to go into the buffer zone, uh, basically uh, they were attacked and there were videos of of the United Nations Blue Beret soldiers being attacked and um, the United Nations cars and vehicles have been forcefully removed by bigger uh, work machines. So this created, of course, a big upheaval all around the world, I I should say, um, because I think this is the first time that there was such a a big uh, event happened in the United Nations. Every now and then there were disagreements and, I don't know, maybe clashes. I don't know the history since 1974, but this was uh, the, the biggest. And I think, I mean, we have to say the first things first. Um, this is unacceptable. Uh, United Nations personnel and United Nations peacekeeping forces are always uh, being protected by international law and no force are entitled for any reasons to attack them, to force them, even if they have their own you know, justifications. But um, we need to make it very clear, and this is an uh, unacceptable action, and then I think we need to discuss what it means, why this has taken place, who's behind it, what motivated the Turkish Cypriot side to take that action. Andromai. Yeah, Kemal, well, I think that, uh, well, discussion for Pila has been going on for a long time. The, the, the demand for the road has been longstanding, but especially in the past few months, there was an active discussion, as I understand, uh, in involving the United Nations, the Greek Cypriot side and the Turkish Cypriot side on the issue. 
I think that the Republic of Cyprus was particularly prepared diplomatically towards this event. The response was immediate from a number of countries. We had a joint statement by the USA, UK and France, three members of the Security Council. There was an immediate condemnation by the European Council. Countries even like Switzerland took a stance. So there was a lot of diplomatic shielding towards the Republic of Cyprus. Which kind of also, I think, China. China was another uh, permanent member of the UN Security Council that took a stance. Only Russia from the permanent Security Council members did not take a stance on the issue. But we are going to discuss Russia a bit later because it is worth touching on the Russian aspect. But what I would like to say here is that, yes, there was a lot of diplomatic response, which kind of shows that the embassies in Cyprus, let's say, were aware of what was going on. The United Nations Secretary General also made a statement. It was it was the video as well, Kemal. I mean, seeing it happening, it, it was quite striking. I have to say that I feel like the Turkish Cypriots are kind of shooting themselves on the foot to some extent because they were very negatively portrayed in international media. Um, having said that, I understand that the Turkish Cypriot police forces are under the Turkish military. So I, I think... When we discuss the Turkish Cypriot side, we also include Turkey in this. And this creates a whole different setting in the sense that this event has come at a time when Turkey has been trying to ameliorate its relations with the West. It has been trying to discuss a number of issues uh, with the European Union. It is on track for this rapprochement with uh, Greece that has been very pompously uh, declared. And it is kind of striking to see this happening when one considers the implications uh, of this. I think it is also important to stress that this was kind of a wake-up call as well as to the fact that any rapprochement between Turkey and the European Union cannot be done irrespective of the Cyprus problem. And I think that in the past, Turkey was trying to disassociate the Cyprus problem from its relations with other European Union members. But this incident has brought the European Union back, uh, let's say, as an actor that wants to see this ending and uh, as an actor that takes this event into consideration. And uh, it will be very interesting to see how uh, this develops. At the same time, just a final point on this, I think it is also worth stressing that the majority of announcements, in fact, referred to the need for a return to negotiations. The joint statement by the USA, the UK and uh, France even went to the extent of saying that the Secretary General should urgently appoint an envoy on the Cyprus problem and that the, the sides should be flexible towards uh, the resumption of, of negotiations. That, for me, is particularly striking because it goes to show that we have a response calling for action when it comes to negotiations. It is not a response that sits back and just accuses, but it is a response that calls for negotiations. And that is um, important in its own right. One thing I realized about this whole incident is that even in the um, press releases of the embassies and the Security Council members and the United Nations, the reference is made to the Turkish Cypriots rather than to Turkey. And this detail, I think, should be underlined. I kind of feel that Turkey is playing a little bit behind 
standing standing behind uh, all of this. I mean, I I, I don't remember uh, strong statements from uh, Mr. Erdogan or from uh, Turkish Foreign Ministry or minister himself. Yes, I, I remember statements have been made. I remember AK Party representative spokesperson made a statement supporting, um, explaining the position of the Turkish Cypriots. But I think, uh, as you rightly pointed out, it was the Turkish Cypriot police and Turkish Cypriot side who been mentioned in the press statements. Occasionally, there were statements saying that it was the Turkish side. But I think a clear um, clear uh, dif- uh, differentiation uh, was made here. I-, I want to underline this. I think it's partly because, yes, Ankara probably approved this and they had a go for this. But the way it is being uh, represented is that I think the Turkish side, Ankara is trying to show it as uh, two sides of the Cyprus problem and uh, are are playing in this and they're showing that it's the Turkish Cypriots who are making the call they're trying to upgrade the status of the Turkish Cypriots and I think this is the main reason of course everybody knows that uh, Mr. Tatar or the the current uh, coalition wouldn't be able to do this by itself and probably this has been going on for a very long time they had the backing of this they they knew this i think they wanted a controlled crisis we know that these kind of things have always been discussed to have a controlled crisis to facilitate this and i think this is the second point that i wanted to uh, make here i think the intention is to create some sort of a controlled crisis either to show the world that the Greek Cypriot side uh, cannot get away with the current status quo, or they were hoping that um, they're having, they're proving that they'll do whatever they want in their um, own area. And and I think they're undermining the United Nations because they, they think that the United Nations is undermining them. I'm not saying that this is correct, but I think this is also a test case for the United Nations because rightly or wrongly, they use this excuse that the previously there have been some concessions by the United Nations, although some protests, what happened in Pila village. And I think with this feta accompli, they are trying to uh, test whether uh, they will be able to get away with it or to show the rest of the world that this is that the current status quo will not be um, acceptable um, to them and in fact we like it or not I mean we've discussed this with you as well and that was also in the statement statement by United United Cyprus now that there is no such thing as status quo I mean it is evolving it is changing unless there is a settlement on the island we we can expect we it is possible to see even more Feta complice. We have seen it in the, around Cyprus, in the waters of Cyprus. We have seen now in in Pila village. I think it shows that this is changing. This is you need to do something about it. Yeah, Kemal, I I have a number of points on this. On the issue of the Turkish Cypriots, I think that it is kind of a shame because the Turkish Cypriots have 
a lot to discuss about them being isolated, about the way the Republic of Cyprus is treating them uh, and, and how they are as citizens in the Republic of Cyprus or how they are perceived in the discussion of a federal state and the political equality in that premise, political equality in the federal model. And they have a lot to raise on these issues. And now, instead of discussing these issues, we have the Turkish Cypriots being in a sense, provocators. And it kind of undermines their standing uh, regarding every claim of theirs that has to do on politically, on issues like political equality on the island. And at the same time, I think that this will once again go to the detriment of the Turkish Cypriot people. And it, it is always a shame when you see leaderships acting in a way that will potentially directly negatively impact their people just by choosing provocation. On another point uh, regarding what you said about Turkey, we need to mention that in its uh, statement, the Turkish Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, of course, reiterated its support to the Turkish Cypriots uh, for what they are doing. But I found it striking that they didn't lash against uh, the European Union like they often do when it comes forward supporting the Republic of Cyprus. This time we had a statement that goes against the United Nations, it attacks them directly and vehemently, but there was no mention of this of the usual the European Union is a biased um, uh, agent, etc. So that could also be significant in its own right. And then a final point on what you said about the status quo, I think that we mentioned it multiple times on the podcast. As, as you said, there is no such thing as a status quo, but at the same time, we need to understand two things. First of all, in absence of negotiations, even the boundaries of the ceasefire line could be challenged. And this is something that in the past we discussed many times, Kemal, under our other hats. But it was something that we have been raising at least since 2017, that what we understand as a reality today could not necessarily be the same tomorrow. And this includes uh, the boundaries of the ceasefire line. And that is a reality that we need to wake up to. At the same time, I want to mention this, Kemal. You might find it uh, strange that I will mention something positive. But uh, don't, uh, don't worry, because it will be clouded in negativity. <laughs> but everything that challenges the status quo, or, or the perception, rather, that the status quo exists could also present an opportunity if you have the political leadership there ready to understand what is happening. And I'm mentioning this in line with what we said before about how everyone in their statements have been pushing towards the resumption of negotiations. And I think that we need to be clear at this stage that where we stand today, the so-called Cypriot-led process and everything cannot be a reality, not in this framework, not, not, not now. However, uh, such an opportunity in inverted commas could be that this situation now, if it has awo awoken the international community or members of the international community that, you know, this situation is not sustainable, we don't want something like this in Europe again, and putting this in the wider geopolitical setting, there could be a deliberation or an investigation whether the sides could be pushed towards a speedy discussion in which I would think that 
for Turkey to enter, it would also have to have something like a direct outcome for the Turkish Cypriots if the process fails. So I think that we need to put this into context as well and have it in mind. However, I highly doubt that we do have that political personnel on the island that is ready to appreciate that maybe they will have to to walk the final mile if we are to say what can be saved in this uh, situation. I agree with you that it is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call when we say that one outcome, one positive outcome we can take out of this. If we have sensible people around us, they should understand that it's a wake-up call and things are um, th- things are changing, th- things are uh, de- deteriorating, things are melting. So it is very important that we pay attention to um, our biggest problem. Um, the sad part is that the humanitarian aspects are always being um, used as an excuse in such um, situations. I understand. I mean, I've spoken to people from Pila and they are really sick and tired of crossing through a crossing point every time they want to um you know go to work or you know or um continue their lives this is also true for many greek cypriots in the tilleria area i mean because of how the the green line is there are those villages which are um, affected with the current uh, situation so Um, I personally uh, have an empathy for those people. They want to have easiness. They want to have a, a better life in con- life conditions. But isn't it isn't the Cyprus problem uh, all about this? I mean, isn't it that we want to have a better life? We don't want to go through crossing points. We don't in a small island. We we want to have. Um, we don't want to be limited with the Cyprus problem. As Turkey Cypriots, we want to have access to the international tools and mechanisms. So it is actually the Cyprus problem itself. It's true we support confidence-building measures and bringing people together. Some people say that if you make life easy for them, they will not want to solve the Cyprus problem. I actually challenge this thinking because once you bring people together, once you start... Um, making their lives easier and then getting their lives interacting, they will realize that there will be even more problems that are detrimental. Uh, there, there is an issue of ownership, the title to the issue. There is a banking issue. There, there are who's police in charge, where, what happens if there's a traffic accident happens, there are environmental issues, there are so many things that connects us together. So at the end of the day, unless we solve the Cyprus problem. Um, these things, every now and then, even without we think or consider it, um, will are going to haunt us. The, the, this is the sad part that the, the ordinary people are paying the the price. Now, we are now approaching to the um, the general assembly annual general assembly meeting in New York, where there will be a lot of diplomatic actions, and um, this now is the fresh thing and. It is still evolving. We don't know whether it will um, be uh, will stop there, or are are we going to have more problems in the coming days? How is this going to affect? Like, if it's a controlled crisis, will this mean that there will be more motivation on the sides to make be to take that extra step to to see where they can lead? The, the Cyprus problem, or is it going to be a bitter taste in everybody's mouth? And 
you know, the, of, of course, now the public opinions are, are really uh, triggered. Um, how, how will this affect a process which hasn't even started? Well, I think that this is what we are now waiting to see. And that's uh, what, to a great extent, uh, lies on the hands of some members of the international community when it comes to seeing whether they can act as mediators in this situation uh, for the escalation. And uh, I'm also particularly keen on seeing the way Greece will stand um, in the face of this, not now, but as you said, in September, in, there is a, a high-level ministerial meeting between Greece and Turkey coming up soon. Will that take place? Not. I mean, we need to see how the Cyprus problem will come into all of this or how the situation will come into all of this. We are, of course, recording this on the 20th of August. We are still to see what will happen if the, if the works will continue or not. We are still uh, waiting to see about that. So, yes, I think that now we need to see diplomacy <laughs> taking place. I need to stress that uh, Christodoulidis' government has not been trying to agitate further. And I think we need to stress this. It is significant in its own merit. Uh, there have been no uh, extravagant statements. They've been very low-key in how they are approaching this. They had diplomacy working for them, and they have not been making provocative statements on this issue. And I think that uh, uh, that is something. There is one side which is not doing statements, and it's Russia. Should we evaluate the Russian-Turkish relations yes. and shifting alliances in a, in a bigger uh, picture? Yeah, I think uh, I think the discussion on Russia <laughs> is now more relevant than ever, to be honest. And I think we have a lot to see on that. But tell me how you perceive what is going on between Russia and Turkey. Well, uh, I don't know if there is something tangible going on between Russia and Turkey. I think Russia nowadays being um, frontally criticized and attacked by the West and Turkey is somehow trying to play this intermediary role, I think Russia is realizing that he could give, they could give a message to the Western world, to the European Union, and particularly to the Greek Cypriots, that there is a, a price you pay. Because when the Ukraine invasion started, um, Republic of Cyprus decided to side with the EU on that, and they are uh, they've they've chosen a side. And now I think Russia is trying to give a message. I don't think that uh, Russia is is and Turkey are good friends. I think they are all. It, it's it's a it's a friendship with benefits. It's it's a case by case. And um, I think Turkey is using Russia against West. I think Russia is using Turkey against Republic of Cyprus. I think everybody is using Russia um, against some other players and so on and so forth. So um, in this particular case, I think Russia is uh, giving a message that um, if you don't um, scratch my back, I won't be scratching yours. And uh, so that that's a very clear message. Of course... We need to remember that every time we extend the mandate of the United Nations Peacekeeping Force in Cyprus, we need full approval of all permanent members. Just one single veto 
means that Amphisip is dead and buried in Cyprus, that United Nations will not be here in Cyprus anymore. I mean, many people forget about this. I am not, I don't think that Russia will play this card at this state, but I think it is now on the table and Russia will try to upgrade its hand towards um, Republic of Cyprus and towards the EU, saying that, look, why should I approve Amphisip's role in Cyprus now that one side is not happy with it and um, we it has been here for a very long time so there is a big risk and you know what it means if if united nations leave this place then who will be controlling the buffer zone it's a doomsday scenario yeah so russia not only did it not issue a statement on on what happened in pila but also according to reports in the greek cypriot press it also asked for a delay in the discussion of the incident in pila in the security council a delay until the 21st of august which is tomorrow monday uh, apparently to downgrade the issue and the importance of the issue. And uh, this has been very negatively seen in, in the Greek Cypriot community. And it is very interesting, Kemal, that you had two very groundbreaking developments uh, these days. One, you had very, very positive comments about the United Nations and Colin Stewart personally in the Greek Cypriot press about the way he has been handling the event in Pila. And at the same time, we have seen very critical text against Russia uh, and its stance in this situation. So you see how how Russia's stance on the Cyprus problem is slowly starting to do what even Russia's invasion in Ukraine didn't do, which is to formally shift the positive perspective that it has in the Greek Cypriot community. Uh, on this point, I want to stress that, as you said, the Republic of Cyprus government was very clear and its its positioning with the West was solidified after Russia's invasion in Ukraine. But this was not the same with a non-negligible percentage of the Greek Cypriot population that still seemed to be very receptive to Russia's messaging. Now, with what is happening in Pila and, and Russia's stance associated with a series of revelations that took place in recent years about uh, where Russia is positioned on the Cyprus problem, because let's face it, a united Cyprus would de facto mean a, a Western Cyprus. It would be part of the Western world. Western world. EU. So now we see uh, some reaction. I want to put an asterisk here to say that even those uh, Russia's impact on Cypriots when it comes to the Cyprus problem is decreasing. Its impact when it comes to how it influences the narratives in the Greek Cypriot uh, sphere on other issues, issues relating to the LGBTQI rights, issues relating to sex education at schools, or, or even COVID and vaccines and everything, it still has the capacity to influence the Greek Cypriot community. But when it comes to how it is perceived, when it comes to the Cyprus problem, it is clear that its relevance is decreasing. And this is also, I think, to a major extent, associated with the fact that you have a very big number of Russians living in the north. There are many, many uh, coverages in the Greek Cypriot community about the increase in the Russian population in the in the north, uh, 
And at the same time, even the opening of a consular office in the north by Russia has been very negatively presented, maybe to a disproportionate amount, because uh, consular faces exist in the north from a number of Western countries, including the US, the UK, Germany. So Russia is now added in this list. Even the European Union has a working office in the north. But I think the, the fact that the timing of it and the way it is presented was was as if Russia was trying to give exactly. a message. Exactly. I mean, if you look at the, the facts, the basics of it, they will say, look, I have many Russian um, citizens who cannot come cross to the south. So, you know, I'm just going to, instead of constantly sending one or two members of the, the embassy there or consular uh, section, I would rather have an office and that could be explainable. But the timing of it and the way it's presented actually put things um, all together. You, you have a, a, a big, bigger, a, another picture. It's not a bigger picture, but it's, it is uh, another picture. Do, do you want to talk about the United Nations emphasis uh, um, on this? Because I think if you ask me, they just want to get out of this place. <laughs> I think they are sick and tired of us. I think you know, whatever they do, we find a way to uh, blame them. Uh, we have talked a lot how the United Nations, um, uh, the AMFICIP and the United Nations offic- officials um, have been criticized bitterly and, and most of the time, in fact, unfairly uh, by sides and maybe particularly in the Greek Cypriot community. And now suddenly this picture of this heroic United Nations soldiers resisting against the Turkish heroes, <laughs> working machines, um, I think maybe maybe miracles, miraculously some people realize that they're actually doing an important job here. And um, maybe it will um, help uh, Colin Stewart to um, really get more um, credit in the international community or, and, and by, by the, by in the Greek Cypriot community uh, per se. How, how do you see that? No, I have been trying to follow a bit how the situation is being uh, reflected in the Turkish Cypriot community and the way the UN are presented in the Turkish Cypriot press reminds me a lot of the way the UN has for a very long time been presented in the Greek Cypriot community as well. And and, and it goes to show how there is a change in perception every time the UN tries to take a position. I was reading a local authority in Pila saying that the UN stood its ground when it comes to Pila for the first time. So you see how uh, now they are sort of changing their position. My, My concern always with this is whether at the next thing the UN will say that might not be liked by uh, Greek Cypriots if they're going to start with the same narrative. But even in terms of how the narratives are being shaped on the ground, I do think that all of these incidents are basically uh, bringing about the disillusionment of the Greek Cypriot public as to many of the aspects of the Cyprus problem. Um, The importance of Anfisib, as you said, they are reminded that, that, you know, this is not a, <laughs> we don't have peace on the island. We need the United Nations for our safety. So that's, that's a very stark shaking of uh, Greek Cypriots that because, of, because of, the, of the circumstances, actually, they could very often forget that there is a Cyprus problem on the ground. So I think that the importance of Amphisip was uh, uh, 
clearly exhibited here in the Greek Cypriot community. And about what you said before about Russia and Anfisib and its veto, I think Russia might not use that card yet. But as you said, it is now on the table and it is even the mandate of Anfisib, despite the fact that we can see on the ground that it is useful, even its mandate is not to be taken for granted. Okay, it's clear that Turkey, um, especially under Erdogan, has been using gunboat diplomacy, not only in the waters, but also on on the soil. And um, whether we like this or not, uh, yes, it is creating a, a, a big resentment and it is not helping um, diplomatically. But on the other hand, um, it is reminding all sides that uh, there is a problem here in Cyprus. And um, this is um, one outcome of it. And uh, should we expect some sort of, a, let's say, a limited at least uh, talks to resume uh, after, towards the end of the year? Um, I don't know whether it's going to be possible because we know that uh, two-state policy, which is a, a non-starter, but... Um, should we be expecting um, a rename of, of it into something else? Should we be expecting that maybe there will be give and take and that maybe there will be limited opening in other areas? Talking of which, um, we have been hearing a lot about uh, the confidence building measures proposed by, uh, to be proposed by Christo Dulides. And um, I think there are recent uh, statements, again, that um, Christodoulidis is trying to come up with new uh, confidence building on crossings, on the children of the uh, citizens of Republic of Cyprus uh, in, who happen to be living in the north, as, you know, which is known as um, in publicly the, the children of the mixed marriages. How is it going to be possible to have such confidence-building measures when there is, a, you know, public resentment nowadays, or you know, on what's what happening, what's happening in in Pila? I mean, logically, I would think that Aristodoulidis is trying to show the Turkish Cypriots what they are missing, and and also show the international community that uh, that he's the good guy. So it would actually make sense diplomatically, but on the on the you know public level, I don't know. Uh, he can't sell anything to anyone. We know this, but will it be possible to really to come up with such confidence building measures at this uh, stage? Look, my analysis clearly says that confidence building measures on behalf of the Republic of Cyprus towards the Turkish Cypriots, and especially their experience with the state itself, their experience with the crossing points, their every bit of interaction, let's say, with any authority. Uh, in the Republic of Cyprus should be prioritized and should be put uh, forward. However, as you said, I I, I do not believe that uh, Christodoulidis will will be in a position to present such uh, measures at this stage. He had said that in September he would uh, announce measures for the Turkish Cypriots, but as you said, and especially based on, on the parties that support him, I think he would have a great bit of difficulty in explaining the reasoning behind confidence-building measures, uh, both to the parties that uh, support him, but also to the people. Uh, well, if I were Aristodoulides, I would say, look, um, first of all, um, we have to um, show the difference between the Turkish Cypriots and uh, 
you know, quote-unquote, illegal Turkish Cypriot administration. Maybe he's just trying to um, steer the internal front in the in the north. He could maybe sell it this way. Um, he could also say that, look, we need all kind of an international support at this stage, and this is a very good... Um, we are not giving up on our principles. You know, uh, we already have the Turkish Cypriots um, as the Republic of Cyprus citizens. It, but, you know, he, he could maybe try to, to convince them. But I, I think it will be more difficult now that the public opinion is um, is very, uh, let's say, alive. But in Cyprus, in a week's time, in a month's time, things can easily be forgotten. And um, we will see. I think it is... I don't expect this to happen right now, but uh, if he managed to sell it to its own public opinion. Well, Kemal, uh, we are in the midst of a crisis that is yet to be resolved, that is yet even to be fully yes. de-escalated. And so we, we need to, first of all, make this clear to our audience. Uh, this is what we know up to now. I, I need to stress that, again, if the international community perceives that the Cyprus problem and the situation on this island could have the potential to create more crises, not only in Cyprus, but internationally, that it does have the capacity to disturb any any bit of rapprochement, even either in the region or in the European Union, then if this understanding is being made clear by the international community or the members of the international community that we referred to before, then maybe we could even be surprised by what we're going to see. And uh, and maybe they will need to work fast and speedily to see how they can use all of the material that has been amassed up to now. Because we are just talking about if there's going to be that momentum. We don't know that yet. There is nothing yet to make us believe this, aside from the clear understanding that this incident should be a wake-up call to many people, both in Cyprus and internationally. We need to stress here that we are not discussing about the Cyprus problem that is uh, that has dozens of issues open. We are discussing about the Cyprus problem in which more or less, I mean, I'm talking about the federal level or a form of a federal level or a form of somehow a united island. To a certain extent, a lot of of the aspects of this framework have been agreed. Andromai, I have never appreciated the analogy of marriage and the Cyprus problem because we hear a lot, we have heard a lot about this. But you know what they say, after a big fight, sometimes uh, sometimes uh, you need a, a make-up foreplay or make-up... <laughs> Uh, you, you need to make up uh, the, the problem and then, you know, maybe a, a new, uh, let's say, process will start. It happened in, in Aegean, you know, after this big crisis, we know what happened now. There is this, um, hopefully things are, or, I, or maybe I'm just being an, an, an optimist. Um, that's how I would like to see it. But realistically, whenever there is a crisis, then there is something that comes after that. So um, we will see, we will yet to see. What I'm really sad about is that, again, um, the the local forces, the Cypriots are just being um, dragged with the developments which are being played by um, the big forces, including Turkey and now, you know, United Nations, the EU, Russia. We have been discussing America. So um, I think... 
it is important for Cypriots to to wake up and then realize that this is their own future, this is their own country, and then do something about it, regardless of how small it is. At least apply some pressure to their own leadership. Look, you know, we don't want to be constantly living under this threat. We need to... We need we need a future for our our children. I mean, we have experienced it in the past, and we don't want to to experience it again. It's not. It's only been like what fifty years, forty five, forty almost fifty years, and um, everything things are happening in the world nowadays. Things that we never thought that would happen are happening, and then it should be a wake up call, really. Kemal, on this point, I I have been following the way the Greek Cypriot discussion on the Cyprus problem takes place for at least the past 10 years, I mean, in a very <laughs> intense way. And I believe that at this stage, with every bit of disillusionment uh, around what the Cyprus problem is, I think that at this stage, the opposing views in this debate, let's say, have kind of clarified. and. For many years, we were discussing the federation, the, the details of a federation, if it would have political equality or not, etc. And But now, the way the discussion is shaped in the public domain is clearly between those who want to somehow try this uh, federal model or want to try some kind of unity and cooperation to the extent possible, and those on the other side that uh, want more a more of a nationalistic or militaristic approach. I think this is this is the way that the public discussion is being shaped at the moment, and I think it is it is worth having this in mind because this is no longer about the details of a solution, but it, it is a discussion about whether we actually want a solution or not, regardless of whether the side that appears to be embracing a more nationalistic or militaristic approach does not explicitly say it, but you understand that it is basically cooperation versus nationalism. This is the, <laughs> and, and this is how it has been forever, maybe. I don't know, but at this stage, it is particularly clear. You know, I think the choice is very clear. The Greek Cypriot political apparatus needs to decide. Either they are going to share whole island administration under a federal model with Turkey Cypriots, or at one point they will have to give up North as a separate entity. And I don't think that they will be able to stop recognition of the North as a separate entity for a very long time, as long as... Um, they they cut relations with the north. I mean, some people advocate, you know, close the the crossing points, you know, cancel the the identity cards of the Turkish Cypriots. That would actually mean you give a lot of um, excuse to the Turkish Turkish Cypriot side to ask for recognition in the world, and probably in that particular case, that would happen. So, if you don't want to share. The control, the government, the administration, the power with the Turkish Cypriots, then you have to share um, the island with uh, with Turkey slash Turkish Cypriots. So these are the two options. I don't think that the, a third option is possible. Some people dream about closing all the crossing points and then, you know, make sure that they are drowned and they're, you know, dying in, in despair because the Turkish economy is collapsing, this and that. This is an illusion. <laughs> this is an illusion. So, you know, 
the choice is very clear. If they, if if everybody realizes this sooner the better, um, then we will have a better, um, better maybe a discussion ahead of us. Looking at the situation on the ground, it is clear that there is an increasing need for a settlement. We are no longer in 1974. We are a member of the European Union. You have the crossing points open, so you have interaction happening. And at the same time, you do absolutely nothing on peace building. You do absolutely nothing on facilitating peace building and peace work on the island. And in an increasingly nationalistic and militaristic setting in both communities, Something needs to be done. Otherwise, we are all in a very fragile situation and vulnerable situation. And I think that what is missing is, is, is also some sort of realism as to the way we approach the situation because we can no longer keep hiding under uh, or behind a non-existent status quo. Okay, we had many things to discuss, but we have uh, almost um, recorded uh, a one-hour program. So I think it's time to maybe wrap up. And um, now that the summer break is over, hopefully we'll be, you know, doing our programs again, uh, as we used to do, um, like uh, every month. So um, I think that's all for for today. As we are going to edit it, hopefully um, we won't be seeing any uh, more dangerous developments. But um, be us being uh, always uh, hopeful and optimistic, let's hope uh, that um, it will lead us to a more realistic point And then hopefully we will be seeing uh, by the international community also more engagement and uh, Cypriots realizing the importance of of finding a solution to the Cyprus problem because there is no such thing as status quo. And I think that I will propose you later that probably this can be the title uh, of of our uh, our episode. Adromahi. And for Cypriots to remember that uh, the history of Cyprus is basically extremists and nationalists imposing their agenda on the island and the people who desire peace remaining silent or not being able to do something about it. So maybe it is high time we changed the, <laughs> uh, the way we acted. So it was a pleasure speaking to you again, Kemal. Pleasure is mine. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus. Island Talks. Open. Diverse. Free.